You know, I, one of the things I love about skilled musicians like we have is often they can take a melody, a tune that we're very familiar with, and they can do what musicians talk about as a remix. They can, they can keep the same melody. They don't change the melody per se, but they add to it. They build upon it. They, they may adjust the tempo or the rhythm, and, and they can bring a freshness to something that we may have been very familiar with. At times, depending on the remix, it can, it can bring quite a bit of change to that tune, but there is life that is breathed into that. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus does with his truth and the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us not just the fundamentals and not just the foundation, but it is the, the building blocks for the Christian life are wrapped up in this sermon that he preached. The sermon that is still impacting us through every generation. And not just because of the words of Jesus, though any words that Jesus will speak to us is Scripture. Any words that Jesus say to us is powerful, it's important. But this sermon has been so key and foundational throughout church history, throughout believers' lives from generation to generation, and understanding that Jesus is calling us to live a new way, a different way, a, a better way. So in essence, in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, Jesus is, is doing a remix on the Old Testament. Now Jesus said about himself, he said, I don't come to abolish the law. I don't come to wipe it out. I come to fulfill it. I come to complete it. I, I come, Jesus says, to, to add a dimension beyond what you have seen to the law. And there's some also overtones that Jesus gives to this idea of life that's a gift that God has given to us. You know that everything that is evil, everything that Satan does, he's not that creative. He just takes what God has made and he perverts it. Isn't that right? Any sin you can think of, any evil you can think of, it's taking something that God has created and twisting it, perverting it. It is leaving out the light or the good in that thing that God has created. And so Jesus is not only coming to fulfill the law as he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's coming to take that gift of life that God created, that Satan had perverted, that the world had gotten wrong, and he gives a new remix. He gives a new mashup. He shifts it. He changes and says, hey, there's a better way to do life. It's different than what the world has embraced. What I'm going to suggest to you is even, even more complete than what I have given you in the law, I've come to fulfill that law for you. His introduction starts out with a blessing for everyone who takes his message to heart. He lays out here in this chapter 5 of Matthew, the first 12 verses is what we're going to look at together. He lays out a foundation for his life-changing remix, and I want to talk about it as the life that God blesses. Talk about this gift of life, and he's going to shift some things, change some things, add some things, tweak some things to say, hey, listen, what I have originally created and given to you, the world has perverted and twisted. Let me change the tune back to what it is I have created it to be. We're going to discover together tonight that life's true blessings, they don't come from the stale, worn-out ideas that we're surrounded with in the world Rather, they are grounded in a deep assurance 
of belonging to God and the fulfillment we have for living out His purpose. The world system emphasizes that image is more important than character. In large part, we have media to think for this and all the different things that are thrown at us to talk to us about an image of happiness, an image of successfulness, an image of a life that is well lived. And we get pictures put in our mind from all kinds of sources. But the world's concept of a blessed life is rooted in projecting the wrong image in our lives. It's rooted in this idea that if I can look a certain way, if I can appear to have the right things, then my life will be fulfilling. But Jesus says that real happiness must go deeper than just what image we have. It has to do with character. And he's talking about a life that God blesses and the character that's wrapped up in that life. It has to do with our heart. And tonight we're going to look at eight heart attitudes that Jesus gives in this first part of his sermon. It's the introduction to his sermon. It's the kickstarter to this greatest sermon ever preached. And he says, hey, you need to understand. I want you to hear this differently than the way you have always heard it. Let me breathe life into this gift I have given to you of life and teach you how to have a life that I can bless. First in your outline, he remixes our attitude toward God. We're going to look at four things here where he he remixes this attitude towards God. He he wants us to have a different perspective than the world. It's a different way to live. It's a better way. It's his original divine plan for us. When he remixes my attitude towards him, then he's going to remix my attitude towards others. So as we go through each of these, I want to challenge you to take a personal inventory on your own. As you think through each of these attitudes, how am I doing? Where am I in this attitude assessment? I'll be reading through the New Living Translation. Sometimes it's good to hear very familiar words in a fresh way. I want to encourage you to follow along in your Bible, whatever translation you have. I'm going to be reading in the first 12 verses. Verse 3 says, God blesses those who realize their need for Him. He reminds us that our attitude must be dependent on Him. And He remixes this attitude from a haughty attitude to a humble attitude. The first thing He starts with is saying, hey, I want to move you from being a haughty people to a humble people. Now we touched on this a little bit this morning, that wise thoughts can be characterized by being humble. It's amazing how foundational, how fundamental it is. If I don't understand who God is and who I am, it's hard to move forward in any other arena in our life spiritually or any other area of life for that matter. But when I have a humble heart, I'm beginning to put on an attitude that God can bless. I can begin to live a life that God can bless. He wants to remix it from what the world says. You deserve it. You should have it this way to a humble attitude i heard an advertisement this week when i was in the car for some car dealership in town that was talking about financing and they said we take all types of credit we can get you the car you deserve i thought that's an interesting thing to say about getting a car the car you deserve what kind of car do i deserve i I don't know if i really understand what that means 
But I get it in our sales tactics because everybody thinks that they deserve the best. They deserve to have it. No matter what their circumstances are, no matter what they have or don't have, I deserve to have this. The world is haughty. The world is set that I need this. And Jesus says, why don't you do it a little bit different? Let me change the tune. Let me build on this. Let me bring you back to my original score. I want you to have a life that is rooted in humility. Why? We're going to begin to see as we unpack this together. But first, listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more room for God and His rule. That's one reason why we begin to see that humility is so important. The less of me, the less of you, the more room we have for God in our life. Now, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He goes right to the heart of the problem. Right to the crux of human nature. It's that thing that screams inside of us that we want to be in control. We pride ourselves on our self-reliance, our independence. We have created even a consumeristic Christianity in America. It's all about meeting my needs. It's about reaching my family and giving me what I want. And it's interesting to me, why do we ever think that has anything to do with following Jesus? Why do we ever think that has anything to do with church? We talked a little bit this morning about some vocabulary words, reminding us of the power of our words and defining some things. This thing that I'm walking on up here, remember, this isn't a stage. Now, stages aren't bad, but stages are for performances. This is not a performance. This is a place of worship. It's a platform to lead and to point to Jesus. The people who participate up here, they're not performers. They are leaders in worship. They are holding up a sign to Jesus. You are not an audience. You're not a crowd. You're a congregation. You and I are participating, and the audience in our worship is Jesus. And so you're not just to to sit and to hear and process and think about the message. We are actively engaged in worship through the Word of God, the Bible right now. And and, uh, the one we are trying to please is Jesus. Jesus Am I listening well today? Am I receiving your word with an open heart today? Am I proclaiming your word with a, with a transparent and, and loving heart today? You see, we begin to, to notice that he is calling us to this understanding that he is greater, that we are less. That it's not about me being in control, it's about him being in control. And the more I understand that I need less of me and more of him, he can direct the show. He can be the one that we serve, that we live for. This consumeristic Christianity in America, when we begin to make it about ourselves or what we want, we miss the whole basic attitude that Jesus is talking about here to move from a haughty attitude to a humble attitude. Well, here's, here's why. Here's what happens. When my focus is on me, I may feel important, but the fact is, I'm often insecure. I may feel important, but I'm, I'm insecure. But when my focus, here's the remix what Jesus does, when I focus on God, I may feel insignificant, but I am secure in Him. Do you see the change? It sounds similar, but it's a world apart. When I focus in on God, I see how little I am in compared to who He is, but I am so secure in His strong hand taking care of me. These are fundamentals 
that we need to be reminded of. How is your attitude of humility? How is your attitude of dependence on God? He wants you to be secure in Him, and it comes through understanding who He is and who we are not. Blessed are those who come to God acknowledging their spiritual bankruptcy. That's the only way that you and I can really come to God. You know, He's not impressed with your achievements or my achievements. He's not impressed with the success that we feel like we have had. So we need to get off of our high horse. We need to humble ourselves before God and begin to live a life, continue in a life, walk again in a life that He can bless. Now, if you or I refuse to do this, He may have to humble us. Now hear me, it's far better for us to humble ourselves than for God to have to humble us. But one way or another... My lack of respect or your lack of respect for him will not threaten God's position. He will be first no matter what. So you're not hurting God, thwarting God, thumbing your nose at him in a way to move him down a priority list. Either you can humble yourself or he will humble you. Next remix is found in verse 4. New Living Translation puts it this way. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now the word mourn here means passionate grieving lamenting in the context it describes a deep spirit of contrition when jesus is advocating here this is a change for an attitude that he wants to have he's advocating for us to change our attitude from excusing sin to sorrow for sin that's a very different tune a very different take on the world's song they've been singing the world will tell us well you have all these excuses of why you did what you did all these excuses even if you would agree that it's not right or it's wrong or it's sinful the world will say well well look at all the reasons why it happened and jesus says move your attitude from excusing sin to one of sorrow for our sin we begin to see that This may not be a very popular message to hear today. We don't talk a lot about having sorrow for our sin. We may hear a lot of talk about our faults and our mistakes and our imperfections, but Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says when we realize who He is and who we are, we can have hope. But if we rationalize, if we trivialize, if we try to justify our sinful rebellion in our life, we rob ourselves of God's blessing. Here's why. Here's the remix, what Jesus does. See, when I ignore my sin, I may feel free, but the fact is I am still guilty. But Jesus remixes this. He gives us a fresh new take on his truth. When I face my sin, I feel guilty, but I'm on the road to freedom. Shame is never from the Lord, but guilt can be. If you are guilty, you will feel guilty. And the world wants us to relieve ourselves of any guilt of anything. And sometimes that's the last thing we should do is say, take away the guilt. Lord, would you break me in this guilt? And would you put me on the road to freedom? Make no mistake. I believe in and I cherish the grace that God gives. But Jesus remixes this arrangement of amazing grace because he knows that if we don't understand how much His life cost, how holy He is, how just He is, how horrible our sin is, we'll never appreciate of how much we've been forgiven of. Remember when Peter sinned by denying Jesus the night of His arrest and His eventual crucifixion. 
When Peter's eyes met the masters that night, he realized what his denial had done to the heart of Jesus. The Bible says he went outside and he wept bitterly. He mourned his sin. He didn't try to rationalize it, justify it, or blame it on someone else. No, he cried bitter tears of grief over what his sin had done to the heart of God. Jesus tells us that if if we grieve, if we repent of our sin, we'll be comforted. The world's take on comfort is ridding ourselves of any kind of feeling of guilt or uncomfortable things. But Jesus takes a different picture of comfort. He says if there's any sin in your life, that guilt will be real. But true comfort comes when you face your sin, confess it to me, and I will not only forgive you, I will bring peace in your heart. To have a life that God blesses, we need to move from excusing sin to having sorrow for sin. Let's look at verse 5 together. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them. This attitude, this remix of an attitude, it goes completely opposite of what the world marches to every single day. The world values a machoism. But Jesus values a meekness. We idolize those in our culture who, who have an image of being dominant, exerting power physically, financially, politically over people. The world's image of a gentle, lowly person is one who is wimpy and spineless. But Jesus is talking about something very different to us. He's talking about a total remix from a stubborn will to one that is teachable. Where is your attitude today as far as being teachable? Are you stubborn or are you teachable? Some translations use the word meek. This term described meek is is literally depicting like a wild stallion that has been broken and brought under control. When that stallion has been tamed by the master, it does not suggest that that mighty beast has no power. It's strength under control is what meekness is, under God's control. Notice how these attitudes, they build upon one another. Once you humble yourself, then you can honestly face the sin in your life. If we don't first have humility, we'll never get honest about the sin. If we never get honest about the sin, we'll never have the freedom and the grace in our life, and we won't be able to be teachable to move forward in what God has for us. Self-sufficiency and pride cut off the growth pattern in our life. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing. We may recognize the need of change in some of these attitudes in one place in our life, But Jesus reserves the right to come back at any moment and say, we need to go back to that attitude. We need to go back to that one. I wish we could just kind of push a few push buttons like on a vending machine and out would pop this character that we want and there'd never be any ongoing work. But the Lord says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Sometimes I wish you'd say, just connect to me for five minutes and then unplug and then you'll be good. But that's not what he said. In fact, I'm glad it's not that way because then it would all be on me or all on you. But when we remain in Him, His power moves through us and He constantly wants to check us and chisel away things in us that may not resemble His attitudes. We begin to see there is a deep need for a teachable spirit. The story of a professor goes like this. A certain professor was 
so self-sufficient. He was proud and a highly educated man. At a dinner party one evening, the conversation turned into a debate. Everyone disagreed with this professor, so he got up, he stormed out, slamming the door behind him in rage. There was an embarrassing silence that came over the room for a few moments. Finally, one woman broke the silence with a sigh of relief and said, Well, at least he's gone. And the host of the party replied, No, he isn't. That wasn't the front door, that was the closet that he went into. Definitely, when we walk out of God's presence, it only leads us to an embarrassing dead end where we are stuck and we at some point will have to humble ourselves, come out of the closet and say, I don't think I knew as much as I thought I did. God blesses those who have a teachable spirit, for the whole earth will belong to them, his word says. That's quite a promise. But why is this so hard for us to believe? It's because it goes against the message, the tune, the song that the world has sung over and over and over. It's ingrained in our mind. And Jesus says, let me do a remix on that. There's pieces of truth in this life that I've given to you, but it's been perverted by the enemy. Let me give it the remix it needs. Here's why. When I resist this in my life, when I resist the authority, I may feel empowered. But the fact is, I'm truly weak. But the remix that Jesus gives to us, when I submit to authority, I may feel weak, but I am truly empowered. See, Jesus' followers are very different. The world will tell you that meek people only get the leftovers in life. Meek people are always ignored, they're overlooked, they're stepped on, they're thrown under the bus. But in God's economy, it's different. They're at the front of the line. They may not have power but they have tons of authority and influence in Jesus Christ. If you just look at the life of Billy Graham, he's been a testimony to humble leadership, and God has chosen to use him, I believe, because no one is more convinced of his inadequacies than Billy himself. And he's not tried to pretend that he is something that he is not, and often... He has made it very known how much he needs accountability, how much he needs God's grace in every step of his life. God blesses those who are gentle, who are lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them, Scripture tells us. Let's look at verse 6 of chapter 5. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they will receive it in full. I like that. You show me a person who is humbled themselves before God, who is genuinely sorrowful and repentant of their sinful ways, who has opened their mind to be taught by the Holy Spirit, and I'll show you a person who is hungering for the right living that God can give. A time of great complacency among Christians in America is here, and Jesus is challenging us, calling out to us to have our attitude move from spiritual apathy to a holy passion. Not a passion for religious creed. Not a passion for anything other than seeing God's justice, His rule, done. The Apostle Paul put it best. I want to know Christ. He didn't want to settle just for knowing about Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. Here's why. When I feed my fleshly appetites, I may feel full, 
But the fact is, my soul is unsatisfied. But Jesus does a remix on that. He tells us, when I feed my spiritual appetites, I am fulfilled and I am satisfied. See, all these changes to the song the world is singing is not to throw a curveball at us, to change things up just to kind of spite us, but God does it because He says, I want to bless you. I want to give you the best life possible. Listen to me, He says. No matter how many times you've heard me say this, it is so necessary in your life. Are you living it? Where are your attitudes today? Any doctor will tell you that One of the first signs of sickness is the loss of appetite. The same is true regarding our spiritual health. So today, as a spiritual doctor of sorts, I ask you, how hungry are you for God? Do you find yourself hungry for prayer? Hungry for worship? Do you find yourself hungry to serve and act in obedience to what He is saying? If... We're losing our appetite. It's evidence that something is wrong inside. It's evidence that there's a sickness and God's love wants to bring healing to that. But it should be a litmus test for us. Are you motivated to get close to the things of God? The message paraphrase puts this verse this way. You're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink. He's the best meal you will ever You see, if you're always eating the world's fast food, you'll never develop an appetite for God's high cuisine. Jesus says that God blesses those who are hungry for Him, and they will be filled. Now, once I get my attitude towards God right, then He begins to shift my attitude towards other people. These are the last four uh, attitudes we're going to look at this evening. Jesus does a remix on my attitude towards others. Verse 7 says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The word Jesus used for mercy is untranslatable in the English language. There's not a direct word that goes across for it. So unless you speak Aramaic, you'll need a little bit of explanation about what Jesus is saying here. Our English term, mercy... It doesn't really just do it justice because that Aramaic word that we translate mercy is is a little bit more dimensional than just mercy. It's not just to forgive someone. It also describes the ability to get right inside a person's skin so you can empathize with them. You can see what they see. You can feel what they feel. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He got inside our skin. He, he showed us this, what we call mercy, but it's this empathy with mercy. This is an important part of the remix and our attitude towards others because Jesus knows that if we can enter into someone else's skin, if we can begin to put our mind into their mind and begin to look through their eyes and try to feel what they feel, God will grow in us a compassion and then we can have a heart to be merciful for them. That's how we move from being merciless to merciful. By the way, to be merciful, it's really in your best interest. interest. If you haven't learned it yet, you need to learn it soon before it becomes too painful. If you hold out forgiveness on someone, the person who's going to be wounded the most is not the person that you refuse to forgive. It's you yourself. You will harbor all the scars. We must move from a 
merciless attitude to a merciful attitude. Here's why. When I withhold forgiveness, I may feel justified in withholding forgiveness, but I will be tormented by that unforgiveness. But when I offer forgiveness, I am forgiven and I am free myself. That's the words of Jesus. Verse 8, we see that God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now this word pure means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated. Notice Jesus is talking about a pure heart motive. It's not perfect in all of our actions, but it's pure in heart. It's made of one thing. He calls us to move from deceit to integrity. It means to be honest and transparent in all of our relationships. He's saying, everyone, everyone listen. If you are transparent, if you are honest, I can work with you. If you're deceitful, if you put up walls and masks, you are blocking the blessing that I want to give. Each person wants to be liked and accepted by others. But when it means compromising your integrity, you end up becoming a people pleaser not a jesus pleaser here's why this attitude is so important when i am deceitful i may get my way but i will destroy my character but jesus does a remix on that he changes the tune he adds to it he brings in his truth when i am honest it may cost me dearly but i build my character only the pure heart will see god The reason that some people never see God working in their life, it's because they have a life full of duplicity, full of mixed motives, full of obedience and disobedience, and they can never really see God working clearly. And if you want to see God more clearly, start living in a one-minded life for Jesus only. God may seem distant and uncaring, But often it's because we compartmentalize him to one area of our life. See, God blesses those whose heart is pure, for they will see God. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. The word for peace comes from the familiar Hebrew word shalom. Now, it doesn't mean freedom from trouble. This peace is not an absence or freedom from trouble, but rather it's peace in the midst of trouble. Now, peacemakers, they don't avoid conflict. They work hard for peace in the midst of conflict. They may even have to create some conflict to get real peace. Jesus does a remix on our attitude towards peace and calls us to move from being a divider to being a uniter. See, peace lovers... They pile up trouble and further divide people because they refuse to take responsibility or they refuse to appropriate action to ensure a resolution of the problem. Here's why it's important. When I avoid conflict at all cost, I'm just a peace lover. I love things to go smoothly. But Jesus does a remix. He says, I don't want you just to love peace. I want you to be a peacemaker. When I face conflict in love, I become a peace maker in the process god can bring about true unity in the midst of a conflict the promise to peacemakers is that they will be called children of god this is god's plan for us through jesus's sermon on the mount his introduction to this great way to live life he says if you want to have a life that i can bless you have 
to be a peacemaker. I don't want you just to try to smooth things over. I want you to seek out peace with those around you. Now he entrusts this ministry of reconciliation to us just the way that he did it himself. That peace for our heart came at a great cost when Jesus died on the cross. But he is now calling us to pick up the banner of reconciliation, to be peacemakers at whatever cost, to build bridges between people around us and God. Finally, in verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It kind of made me ask again, Jesus, what are you saying? You just said blessed are the peacemakers and now you're going to say we're being persecuted? Well, what is this? I thought you wanted peace between everybody. But here's what happens. When you begin to live intently for Jesus, when you're set on making peace and not just building your own kingdom, it's going to be very different from the world. There's going to be people who don't like that. There's going to be people who don't want that and they're going to persecute you. And Jesus is saying when the mud starts flying and the mud that's thrown at Jesus begins to fall and hit you, count it as joy it continues on in verse 11 and 12 god blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers get this be happy about it be very glad why for great for a great reward awaits you in heaven now Jesus' use of the word here happy is, is probably better translated in english joy it's not about what happens but it's about what's inside of us and we can have joy when we begin to see what is being produced in us this attitude shift is this moving from complaining to being joyful from complaining to being joyful keep the big picture payday may not be today but payday is someday and god will reward you for your suffering in his name here's why it's important when i focus on the offense that is coming at me i can lose my joy but jesus does a remix and when i focus on jesus in the midst of trials i can keep my joy this one is so simple when we talk about it but i think so hard to live out think about that crisis of injustice that's come at you Everything in you and me screams, I need to make it right. I want to set the record straight. But Jesus says, would you rather have my joy? Or would you rather have your own defending of your reputation? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying as Christians that we are to be doormats and there's never a time to speak up. But Jesus often just took it for you. Are we willing to just take it for Jesus and to let his joy be enough? We just sang tonight, Jesus, you are my all in all. That song took me back to junior high camp. I don't really remember what it meant at that moment in my life, but I knew that twerp night of some girl asking you out to a date was exciting. That's where my mind went when I thought of that song. There can be truth in words and lyrics that are ingrained in our memory and we have other things attached to it, but we can become so familiar with a phrase, a thought, that it may lose its meaning for us. Jesus, you are my all in all. 
Everything that I need is in you. I can have joy in you. If everything else would fall apart in my life, you are more than enough. And Jesus says, until you understand that, everything else will be meaningless. You may feel like you're secure, but you're not secure until you have this. In essence, Jesus says, if you have these attitudes, you're living a life that I can bless. Not because you've gotten in line. No, no, no. Because whenever Jesus says stop or don't, he says stop, that's going to hurt you or someone else. Don't, that's going to hurt you or someone else. And he says, the world has gotten this tune of life all mixed up. Let me change the tune back to what it was originally given. Let me take the law that I've given to you and let me fulfill it and let me add another dimension to it. We begin to see that these attitudes of moving from haughty to humble, excusing sin to sorrow for sin, being stubborn, now being teachable, from spiritual apathy to spiritual passion, from merciless to merciful, from deceit to integrity, from being a divider to a uniter, and from complaining or defending to being joyful. Jesus says, you're on the right track to hear the rest of my sermon. Well, we're out of time. And Jesus just got his introduction done. So we'll allow his Sermon on the Mount to take us through the next couple of weeks together. Would you stand with me? I want to challenge you tonight that I think the worst thing that you could do is take your outline and stick it in your Bible and walk out of here and go good talk. I mean, I hope that you felt it was good because God spoke to you. But a more appropriate thing is for us to be able to say, God... Would you give me some action steps from your word tonight? You know, what blesses my heart the most as a pastor is when someone comes and they share with me what Jesus said to them through the word. Because when Jesus speaks to us, he calls us to obedience. And if I can identify it, that it was Jesus that spoke to me, not Brady. It was Jesus that spoke to me. It wasn't coincidence about some kind of talk. And then, then, then there's a wait. Am I going to obey the creator of the universe or not? And I believe that there's a number of us here tonight that Jesus has been speaking to you. He's been speaking to me. So as I pray, we dismiss in a moment. I want you in your mind to pray and ask God, God, is there any of these attitudes that you need to do another remix in my life? Not because he's angry at you, but because he loves you so much, he says, I want you to have a life that I can bless. Heavenly Father, I thank you and the tremendous grace gift you've given to us in Jesus. Jesus, as you came to this earth, you taught, you've given us these words is your introduction on the best way to live life possible. Lord, I pray that you would convict us again. You would highlight for us again. You would point out, you would put your thumb on our back again on any of these attitudes that that need molding. And Jesus, we corporately, collectively right now say to you, yes. We choose the life that you can bless. We choose to allow you to do a remix totally different than the way the world would live. Lord, would you add another dimension to the law that you have given to us? You're not abolishing it, but you are fulfilling it by the power of your Spirit in us today. We covenant with you right now, Jesus, before you and our brothers and sisters, 
to be obedient to what you say to us, not only tonight, but in the days to come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. May God bless you. May you not only remember the power that you have in your words that we talked about this morning, but remember, God is giving you a life He wants to bless. Let your attitude get on board with that. God bless you. You're dismissed.